hold, when esteemed accurately, is overwhelmingly wonderful. What promises in the gospel? What, what promises are in case? We just sang some of them. <coughs> life and life more abundant. Forgiveness and freedom from all of our sins. The indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ himself as our personal advocate. The Father for our own as an adopted son and daughter. Grace lavished upon us. Love overwhelming us like a flood. Promise times promise times a thousand promises. Ministry, the entrusted grace of opportunity to be co-laborers with him in his great, victorious, triumphant march of redemption. And then to be with him always. And to receive a reward and a crown. And to be able in that crown to say thank you. That news is so incomprehensibly wonderful when contrasted with our lives and the way that things seem to be around us. <clears throat> and the delta between those two, our lives and the way that it is and the struggle that we face and the fear that dogs our thoughts and the doubts that echo within the chambers of our hearts too often and so deeply. The wrong that you know that you've committed and how offbeat you feel. Some of you slid into this retreat on two wheels, just like, I guess I'll come. And it happened probably 36 hours ago. You're like, okay, I've been hassled enough. I'll show up. I'll show up. I got this big bear so I can afford the drive, you know? <laughs> the contrast between the way things seem to be and the promises of the gospel, that delta is vast. And it can be eclipsed by faith and faith alone. Somebody was thinking when they named your church. I'm just saying. Somebody was like, ah, let's uh, put the most important thing at the front and, uh, and make that number one, Faith Bible Church. This year we'll talk about faith. Have you, have you ever seen a coral reef? How many of you have ever seen a coral reef? Pretty amazing, huh? Before you got near the reef, you were standing on the shore, <coughs> or maybe in a boat above the water. How much of the reef could you see? when you weren't even in the water? How much of it? Yeah, it was just kind of a dark mass beneath you, right? <clears throat> but then you jumped in the water, and uh, maybe you didn't have any gear on, all right? So you're just in the water swimming around, and uh, you can maybe see it a little bit better if the water was especially still, but you're still quite a ways away. Well, to do one better, what do you want to do? What do you want to put on? You want to put on some some goggles and some fins and a snorkel mask and you want to get horizontal and you want to look right down on it so that there's not a divide between the air and the water you're you're in it <clears throat> and if you want to do one better you're not just going to put on a snorkel mask what are you going to do you can scuba dive you're going to die and how many of you have the privilege of diving on a reef all right get certified and do it <laughs> because 
Um, they say that every six feet of diving is like a mile of atmosphere, meaning whether it's air pressure or even the incapacity to see through that much liquid what's really happening. And so from the surface, you look down a few feet and it seems pretty amazing. Even if you dive down with a snorkel, you're down there for just a few seconds to kind of come back up because you would perish if you didn't. <clears throat> but if you're able to dive down and to swim among the crevices and the cracks and to see the moray eel staring back at you warily and to reach in to see if there's a lobster in that hole fearing that you might get pinched <clears throat> to swim among the fish and to be down there with them and to see the colors for what they truly are and the dimension for what it truly is is a world of difference from any other experience so this weekend we're going to do a deep dive on faith we're going to talk about faith. I hope you, uh, when you come to church, this is just a life lesson, I hope you come uh, with a copy of the, the text, which is a book. Um, some of you are electronic Bible fans. Um, <clears throat> a book is better uh, for a few different reasons. Bring a book and then bring something to write on and write with. Actually, it's called a piece of paper <laughs> and a pen. So I know that that's a lost art today. And um, but, I, but I trust that many of you have come prepared to, to really ingest um, to receive what the Word of God has to say to such a degree that you're able to capture it, to, to stay on track, to, to remark in your journal or on paper what God is speaking to you through His Word, to capture it, and then to carry it forward to your small group discussion, to your communion time with the Father, and to carry it forward. So I, I trust that many of you have something to write on and write with as we make our way through our weekend together. Um, but, but here's a title for our whole time. Okay, so, so all five sessions come underneath this title, Faith, Gaining and Maintaining Life with God. Faith, this is the title for the whole weekend, Gaining and Maintaining Your Life with God. How do you gain life with God? What's the answer? Faith. How do you maintain your life with God? What's the answer? Thanks. Great. Well, we've had a good weekend. Uh, thanks for coming. Uh, <laughs> closing song by Patrick and Ty. Um, yeah, we can talk about it all weekend. So, uh, why? Because faith is that bridge from the way things seem to be. Faith is the bridge from the way things seem to be down here to the way things truly, truly, truly are. Who he is what he's accomplished, and what he says he will do. And if you are to live life in the grace of his provision, you need faith to get from here. Tadgum, that test, that roommate, that sibling, that scenario, that fender bender, that bill. Man, from that. to what he's afforded for you by his grace. Mm. So, faith is, is that bridge. Faith bridges the chasm. And he's purchased all of that for you, here and now. And my heart is so eager to take it all in and to know it's all true. Not because it says it in a book that I believe, but because I've lived that life and experienced those truths. 
So, we're going to talk about faith. What's our title for the whole weekend? What did we say our title was? Faith, faith colon, gaining and maintaining your life with God. All right? So, I hope and pray that at this point you've come to a, a bible church and a bible retreat that you have a desire to have life with God. I think that's kind of a settled issue for all of you, that you want that, that you want life with God, that you want the life that he's promised, abundant, and refulgent, like overflowing and abounding. Um, and so we're going to talk about all weekend about how to do that, right? So how, how that happens. And um, faith is, is so important. It's colossally uh, essential. Uh, can, can colossal be an adverb? It just happened. So let me check, check that. Colossally essential. If purple gap is in the dictionary, then you... There you go. <laughs> <laughs> well played. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm excited to talk about it. Uh, maybe that's obvious at this point. Martin Luther was a good Catholic. Man, he was a good Catholic. He uh, grew up as a, a miner's son in Eisleben, Germany. Um, I've been to, to Eisleben. Uh, um, in fact, he died in Eisleben, which is unusual because he spent two years there when he was a young boy <coughs> and then was preaching back in his hometown, oddly enough, when he died. Um, <coughs> in this town um, uh, where, where he was born and where he died, um, they they have they would they would create a death mask, and so when somebody died, then this is now the 16th century, uh, they would cast that person's faith, and uh, and and hands so mask and hands and so his death mask and hands are like there in the room where he dies, <laughs> a little weird, and uh, it's like well I guess it happened right here, and the bed that he died in I'm telling you was no longer than these two chairs. All right, so it starts at Zach, doesn't even get to Ryan. It's just like I mean it's like this big. He was one tiny dude uh, in person, but he was a giant in the faith. But he started as a great Catholic. Uh, he was born in 1483, 22 years of age. He was pursuing a law degree, but he was terrified in a lightning storm. And in that, um, in that moment, he promised St. Anne that he would become a monk because he was a dutiful Catholic. And so he turned away from his law, his pursuit of law, to become a monk. And uh, first, he, he was going to pursue the priesthood but he couldn't administer the Mass. His, his one and only time that he tried to minister the Mass was an absolute failure because Luther, as good Catholic, was overwhelmed at his unworthiness. In the Catholic mindset in error, when you hold the wine, you're holding the blood of Christ, and when you hold the bread, you're holding the body of Christ, and him and his unworthiness he became undone and was unable to conduct the Mass because he knew his sinfulness and he knew the righteousness of God and he knew and felt the justice of God and it was crushing him. So abandoning the priesthood but staying as a monk because he had made this promise to St. Anne, he identified that he was actually really gifted in the Scriptures. And so he loved uh, the Bible and began to study. So that then sent him on a path to become a, a professor of theology and that sent him to Wittenberg where he was then... Um, he made himself responsible to learn the Bible. Uh, in 15th and 16th century Catholicism, the Bible was not 
uh, featured uh, deeply or regularly, but for Luther in his desire to understand this chasm between the way his life is and God's promises, he needed to know how to get there, and he couldn't get there. All he felt was judgment. And maybe you feel that in your heart too. The righteousness of God, judgment, his justice will come crashing down on what I have done and how I truly think and the way I truly am on the inside. Maybe I have a few people fooled, maybe my parents, maybe a few people in my church, but I feel condemnation all day long. So did Luther until he was rescued by the grace of God in the Word of God. Let's go to the text. Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 1 because our foundation verse uh, for this session is Romans 1.17, the scripture that liberated Luther from his incarceration um, of condemnation. He knew the righteousness of God. He felt the justice of God. He was overwhelmed by it and yet knew from the word of God that there was grace and love and relationship, but he didn't know how to get from where he was, how he felt, to all of those promises until he read Romans 1, 17. For in it, by the way, what's the it? Looking back to verse 16, in it the... Yeah, it's the gospel. For in it, the gospel, that is, verse 16, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. For it is written, the just, the righteous, shall live by faith. <clears throat> so the gospel is a revelation of how we here in our sin can have access to the righteousness of God. It's revealed, it's manifested. The gospel manifests how the righteousness of God becomes our own through this one simple mechanism. The word is repeated three times in the verse. What is that mechanism where the righteousness of God becomes our own, forgiveness becomes, all the promises becomes ours. What is that bridge? It is the bridge of faith. From faith at the beginning to faith throughout our lives, and faith at the end. For the righteous, for the just, for believers shall live by faith. And that is why we need to do a deep dive on this exceedingly important topic. Because if this is our life, if we're to walk by faith, and live by faith, and be sanctified by faith, then what does that mean and how does that work? If I'm to, be, if I'm to gain a relationship by faith, how does that happen if I'm to maintain my relationship by faith? I need to know what this is. And enough with shallow thoughts about that which is eternal. I pray and hope that every heart in this room has cast off permanently a somewhat casual relationship with that which is eternal. With the Lord, with His character, with His provision. And when He underscores over 500 times in the New Testament, this word, the verb pistuo, 264 times, the noun pistes in its derivatives, 244 times, <coughs> um, 
over 500 times, this one word, verb and noun combinations and the rest, he couldn't have underscored more deliberately how important this is. And it unlocked it for Luther. It unlocked it. And so... <laughs> Luther, Luther was, was totally brilliant and half crazy. He was one absolutely crazy, crazy mug. I, I would love, oh man, he was absolutely crazy. He, um, at one point in his life, he, he, feared for, he feared for his life. Do you, have you ever heard of the Diet of Worms? Diet of Worms? Yeah. So I'll, I'll read this quote because it's, it's fantastic. So he just, he just lost his mind. When he realized that the Catholic Church was completely corrupt in its understanding of salvation, and that their approach to God was by works instead of by faith, he, he became an overnight and immediate and dynamic enemy of what was er erroneous. So, um, so then he took on the Catholic, uh, the Catholic Church, like the whole thing, which was the most powerful entity in the entire world. The Catholic Church chose the kings. You know that, right? The Catholic Church chose like who ruled nations. And Luther didn't have to care because if God is for us, who can be against us? And he knew by faith he'd appropriated the promises of God, and he was convicted. So the Diet of Worms was basically a sham trial where he was promised safe passage to, to travel to the city of Worms. And, um, and Diet, it, yeah, and uh, Diet is like a gathering. It's like a, a religious council. And so actually uh, King Charlemagne V was there. Uh, the Pope didn't show up, um, but the bishops, the archbishops, everybody was there at this diet to basically call Luther back to the faith. This, so this is 1521. So he had been converted, the 95 theses on the wall at the castle church, all that kind of stuff, all that had happened. Uh, <laughs> the, 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 the Pope had sent him a year prior, like a cease and desist letter, basically. And, and <laughs> it's, it's called a papal bull. And it's just like it sounds, it's like, you're going to do this. It's like, just like, it's happening. You know, it's like an edict. Like, you're going to recant is basically what it is. You need to stand down from all this craziness because, again, uh, the Pope was in Rome and he was in Wittenberg, Germany, and he was protected by actually some of the prefects in his area and the different princes and kings. So it was a little bit insulated. But, so the, the Pope in, in 1520, your prior, was like, you're going you're gonna to stop all this craziness. And uh, so he takes the letter from the Pope. And he, and he goes out, he, he leaves the, um, basically the theological school where he was on the end of Wittenberg, and, and he called basically the town to him, and he lights the whole thing on fire, and he's, he just absolutely loses his mind. And so, so the Pope was not pleased, and uh, that was not the response he was going for. And uh, so then the Diet of Worms, like, he's like, all right, we're going to do this face to face. You know what I mean? Our Catholic leaders, and you're going to show up, so this is like a year later. I promise you safe passage. What that means is, and this was important in that day, because if, um, if you promise safe passage, you had to grant it, because then nobody would show up for anything. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. uh, but promising safe passage was a sense that we'll let you come and go freely, and uh, we're not going to arrest you, because then, again, nobody would show up, and they'd just go and hide. So promises safe passage to Luther, the Diet of Worms, and, and man, I'm telling you, he, uh, he was attacked, and, and he did not, did not waver. Um, it was um, weeks and weeks and weeks of this dialogue between Luther and these Catholic leaders, and they would dialogue, and then he would come back and respond, and then they would offer more questions. But at the end, they just called him to recant the whole thing, and uh, because he was espousing doctrines that the Catholics uh, believed were um, accursed, anathema. So, so here's the final moment at the Diet of Worms. Maybe you've heard this quote before. It is stout. Before 
kings and princes and religious leaders. Luther makes his final stand, died of Worms, May 25th, 1521. He says this, I must be bound by those scriptures which have been brought forward to me. Yes, my conscience has been taken captive by the words of God. I cannot revoke anything, nor do I wish to do so. Since to go against one's conscience is neither safe nor right, here I stand. So help me God. I can do no other. He was captive by the word of God and their promises. He had been freed from the insanity and the mania of performance, of I can't add up. And since I can't add up, I'm going to get clobbered. The justice and righteousness of God was going to overwhelm me no matter what I did because my sin was so acutely familiar to me. But he had been freed from that by faith. And so he defied all of, basically all of the known powers of the Western world so that he could stand with God by faith. So this transformation hinged on this scripture and this theme that we're talking about this weekend. For in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. All right, so let's, uh, with a little Luther behind us, let's dive into the structure of our, our time that remains uh, here this morning. I, I want to talk about, if you want to kind of jot down a loose um, outline, I want to talk about, uh, just briefly, a difficulty with vocabulary, all right? So we have a problem with <coughs> Greek to English transference of this concept, and it'll be obvious to you as soon as uh, I ask that question. So that's kind of our first point, very brief, very simple. <coughs> then, <coughs> I, need, I need you to walk away from this session and this weekend with a very clear understanding of actually the essence of faith. It's three parts, and I need you to, to know it and to see it. And uh, very, very important for your own life, for your own salvation, for the welfare of others around you that claim to know Christ and walk with Christ. So that's the second part, is the essence of faith, the three parts uh, that comprise the essence of faith. And, and then third uh, is the difference between... Um, gift faith and growing faith, all right? So that's our third part this morning. The difference between gift faith and growing faith, and that's very important uh, to, to understand. And that's simply highlighted in Paul's repetition when he says the righteousness of God is revealed, what is the next phrase? From faith to faith. He, he's invoking this reality that there's faith at the beginning, gift faith, and there's faith throughout, which is growing faith. And they're, they're the same in essence, but different in their function. And you have to understand the difference if you're going to gain and maintain your life with God. Got it. So that's this morning. And, um, oh, just to give you kind of an overview of what we're going to talk about for the week, because that may be profitable for you. Um, and if it isn't, you have 20 minutes of mental rest. Um, 20 seconds, sorry, mental rest. Here we go. <laughs> um, uh, tonight we're going to talk about justification by faith alone. Okay, so um, the, the essence of salvation, justification by faith alone. Um, and then tomorrow morning, we're going to talk about um, living by faith out of Galatians 2.20 and um, what that looks like. We're going to talk about actually the, the engagement points and different aspects of actually a life that is powered by and informed by faith. <clears throat> tomorrow night, <clears throat> we'll then talk about suffering faithfully 
um, and the dynamics of faith through suffering, trial, and uh, setbacks. And then on uh, Sunday morning, we're going to talk about faith. This is, this is so beautiful. Faith is a future look. Faith as an appreciation and, and a, a reception of his promises. Of his promises. Hey, y'all. Live out of promise, not out of performance, okay? That's what he's purchased for you. <laughs> but we're gonna, that's what we're going to work on this week. All right. So uh, those of you that need a break, now we're back, all right? <clears throat> so here, our outline this morning is uh, vocabulary difference. Um, and then we're going to talk about uh, the, the essence of faith, the three parts of it. Then we're going to talk about uh, the difference between uh, gift faith and growing faith. All right, what's the vocabulary challenge here? Um, so we're talking about, um, what, what's, what are we talking about this weekend? Faith, faith, faith that's right. Um, what's the verb form of faith? Is there, an, in English, a verb form? Is faith a verb in English? Is faith a verb in English? The word faith? No. Do you see the vocabulary problem right there? <laughs> so it's a noun. So, by the way, this one Greek concept, and, and it's stunning, actually, how consistent the New Testament is in using one word, the pistuo, pistes, combination pistuo is a verb, pistes is the noun, and then it becomes adjectives and derivatives of all that, is <clears throat> it, exceedingly consistent, one word. But there's a problem from the Greek to the English in that our faith concept, it's not a verb. It's not a verb. What are some other words that invoke the verb concept of faith? Somebody would have said, trust, that's really good. Or, believe. But trust, here we go. And a lucky winner will take this home. No, they won't. Uh, <laughs> Lady will get charged for it, and uh, so yeah, this was in the kitchen, so uh, belief. So, but now, belief has a noun form. Belief, did I say belief has a noun form? Yeah, yeah me and Patrick, I'm right with you, home. He said, at least what I said wasn't heretical. Yes. <laughs> His mercy is more. Yes. Praise God, man. <laughs> right, so, so, Belief, sorry, has a noun, which is belief. But belief, in our English understanding, is not the faith of the New Testament. It's not. Like a belief. Like a belief is actually part of it, but not the whole thing. Trust is a verb and a noun, but it's not the whole thing. And so there's a vocabulary difference in this. So we have to break through that vocabulary difference to kind of broaden our understanding of what's happening in the New Testament. Does that make sense? Because faith is like this whole thing, but you can't, you can't faith. Like faith isn't a verb. And that is no small difficulty in being able to live by faith because you don't know how it works or the mechanism of its function. So uh, that's why we're spending a whole week. Well, that's not why, but that's a reason why we're spending a whole weekend on it. So that's the difficulty with the vocabulary. That was pretty simple, right? But I think what it does is it helps you understand that there's this barrier. There's this language barrier between what's happening in the New Testament and what's happening for us because of these words that don't exactly lock in in their denotation or their connotation with what's actually happening in the New Testament. So that's, again, we're going to try to break through that. And we'll start here, point number two, with the essence of faith. All right, the three-part essence of faith uh, is very, very important. Um, the, uh, the reformers um, came up with three Latin words. So if you like Latin, then I'll offer them to you, all right? So it's uh, notitia, fiducia, and a census, all right? So, notitia, fiducia, and a census. 
And uh, Notitia has actually kind of concepts for us and notes. Fiducia, how many of you are in finance or fiduciary responsibility? That ring a bell to anybody? Great, it totally does, big time, I can tell. <coughs> um, fiduciary is a trust relationship. <coughs> and then a census um, doesn't really have, an, but, but let's actually, here, here are the words that I want you to write down uh, for these three. If you want to understand the nature of faith uh, is very important. I'm asking you to write these words down. First, it's intelligence, reliance, and allegiance. Intelligence, reliance, and allegiance. And if you write anything down from this weekend, if you capture anything from this weekend, I'm hoping and praying that this description of faith <clears throat> goes home with you. I use this understanding of faith, this biblical understanding of faith, we're going to show you scriptures and all this. Uh, I use this probably not every day, but probably four or five times a week. Or more. I use it in my own heart. I'm facing a trial. <clears throat> what part of intelligence, reliance, or allegiance helps me to know how to respond to this? I am discipling my kids. When they freak out because their plan doesn't come to pass because they're anxious about their assignment, what's missing in their faith? so that they can trust in the Lord. <clears throat> when I'm counseling, when I'm <clears throat> talking to somebody, um, I spoke with Ashley yesterday in the airport, <clears throat> and um, I just asked myself, what, is, what does she believe in? What does she rely upon? What is like the foundation of her understanding of the way things are? Because she doesn't have a relationship with Christ. And so I challenged her to consider one. And uh, <clears throat> it's happening all the time. Why? Because we live by faith. <laughs> we walk by faith. And if we're walking by faith, we're constantly toggling between these three essential aspects of faith. All right, let's break it down. Intelligence. Intelligence is what you know, all right? Uh, actually, I used the word knowledge for many, many years, but it didn't have an ENs to it. So we just went with intelligence. How's that work, y'all? <laughs> this is like my, you're like my guinea pigs for intelligence, all right? <clears throat> so intelligence is what you know. It's facts. That's simple. You can write the word facts next to intelligence. It's what you understand. That's actually close to our word beliefs. Does that make sense? What are your beliefs? When you ask what are your beliefs, you're asking what do you, what facts do you know about that system? So intelligence is facts. Reliance is trust. And allegiance is obedience. So you might want to write those three words down next to those three concepts. Facts, trust, obedience. And then uh, here's what we'll do to kind of uh, work this out a little bit, is I would love your help. I'll give a scripture reference. We're going to talk about intelligence for a few minutes. I'm going to give three scripture references. When I give a scripture reference, it would just please the Lord greatly. And uh, it'd be great if someone said, got it, and I'll give another reference. Then somebody else says, got it. And then I'll give another reference and someone says, got it. Y'all got it. <laughs> so we're going to talk about intelligence, all right? So if I claim that at the essence Belief is intelligence. Where does that? Where does the Bible tell us that? All right. So let's go to uh, John one twelve. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Was that you, Ryan? Who was that? Who was that? Oh, that was you. Thanks, man. Your name? James. James. Eames. Well done. Bible name. Got it. How'd you project your voice like ten feet forward? He's not only godly; he's a ventriloquist, man. All right. So John one twelve. James got it. 
First Corinthians five. Sorry, sorry, sorry. First Corinthians fifteen three through six. Got it. There you go. New Ryan was there for me. <laughs> and Second Timothy one twelve. Got it. Great. All right. <clears throat> so we're talking about intelligence, and by intelligence, what are we referring to? We're referring to the facts, facts of what? What you know. Yeah, like the facts of what you know. It's, you're talking about knowledge. You're talking about your understanding. And again, our English word belief accords with this, but it's only one part of it. And I'm telling you, there are scores of people at Faith Bible Church that think that this is the completion of faith. And in so doing, <coughs> they're not a friend of God. The <coughs> if our lives fail to embrace and appreciate the fullness of saving faith, we do not have it, no matter how much knowledge we have. And we're Bible-y people, y'all. We got the knowledge. How many of you grow up in a church, in a good Bible church? Yeah. You are cursed with an overflow of knowledge. Because what does knowledge do by nature? Second Corinthians 8, 1, it does what? It puffs us up, all right? Well, let's start here. It's an essential part of it. You cannot, you cannot entrust yourself to that which you do not understand. So it begins with our understanding, all right? And so, there we go, James 1.12. Sorry, John 1.12, for James, thank you. <laughs> but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. What an awesome promise. I mean, just, just that last phrase. He gave them the right to become a child of God. Okay. I mean, you have the right. You have been given the right in his holy presence to claim your sonship and your daughtership by faith. <clears throat> now, but what does it say? What's the exact phrase? Believe. Read it for us, James. Believe. What's the next phrase? In his name. <clears throat> in his name. What does that mean exactly? To believe in his name. To believe in the collection of letters J E S U S. And if you said J U S E S, that you would get it wrong. Like, is it like actual collection of words? Like an actual name, Jesus? No, no, no. It's not that. <clears throat> I was at a church once, <clears throat> and the worship leader was really enthusiastic, and they're like, you know, <clears throat> the name of the Lord is a strong tower. Just say the name Jesus. I was like, what? So like the mantra, Jesus, like saying the word Jesus provides, like the word provides? That's not what it means at all. So what does it mean? Because James just read that those who believe in his name, what does that mean? That we believe that we understand, that we know, what does the in his name mean? Person and work. Say again? Person and work. <clears throat> the person and work. The character of who God is and what he's accomplished. So when we invoke the idea of the name of God, when we pray in Jesus' name, it's not simply appending the word Jesus to the end of your prayer. It's praying in, it's praying, excuse me, in accordance with the... What, what do we say? The person, his character, and the work of God. It's who he is and what he said he would do. That's the name. So, so when, back to James, John 1.12, uh, James will curse me the whole weekend. And uh, back to John 1.12, we're called to believe what? In his name. In his name. So we're called to believe in what? The, the character. That's it. The character and the accomplishments of God. 
All right, so let's go to uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 6. Who's got that? 3 through 6. Yeah, sorry. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 6. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and to the Twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Great. So what we've just received in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 6, is a starter of what you need to know, the knowledge that you need to have to, to get into this thing. If faith at its foundation is intelligence and understanding and knowledge of certain facts, 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 6 gives us that starter kit for that. A, a great exercise within uh, your small group would be to ask the question, maybe uh, this is a question that you engage with, is, um, so what are the essentials that we need to understand to be born again? And uh, very important discussion, and uh, because we have a list here. Uh, the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, sinfulness, etc. Uh, so who's got 2 Timothy 1.12? Cool. For our proud confidence is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in holiness and godly sincerity, not in fleshly wisdom, but in the grace of God, we have conducted ourselves in the world, and especially toward you. Is that Second Timothy, one twelve? Oh, second. I thought it was Second Corinthians. I apologize. Second <laughs> Timothy, one twelve. Okay. I got it over here. <laughs> I got it. Which is why I suffer as I do, but I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. And I'm convinced that he is able to guard until that day that which has been entrusted to me. For I know whom I have believed. Believe here, the verb is appended with the idea of knowledge. And, and um, <clears throat> Maybe I'm just saying this from my own heart. But just do away with dusty truths when it comes to to the person and work and words of the Lord Jesus, of, of this person. Dusty words. Words that you know but don't resonate within your heart. Concepts that you're familiar with but seem rote and tired to you. If something... In our humanity and creatureliness, we're so far away from the true essence of any of this knowledge. You understand that? Like when you know a fact about Jesus, do you think that you've like captured the whole thing? Do you think you're like really there? You're like, I get it. Like even if it's one piece, you don't. Like you know something about it. <clears throat> but when truths about God from the scriptures, what's true becomes drab to you. It's because of our self-centeredness and pride and self-righteousness. Because the reality is, no matter what truth we could encounter, it's so exceedingly more fantastic and glorious and resplendent that we could ever fathom. And that we would approach any truth, even such a truth like the death of the Lord Jesus Christ in a cavalier fashion, is a, a staggering, a staggering act of hubris. And so when we talk about intelligence, we're also talking about our a gaze of wonder at the Lord. 
it's, it's, it's connected to worship. It's connected to appreciating. Not just cognition, but, but appreciation. And so this intelligence is, I know whom I have believed. You see this here for Paul, we just read in 2 Timothy 1.12. Um, what he says is, I, I'm able to endure suffering. I'm able to go through all this. I'm able to be a mom to three young kids. I, I'm able to endure. I'm able to face the challenges of life. I'm able to handle the layoff and the setback. I'm able to, to uh, face the, it wasn't supposed to go this way. Uh, because I know whom I have believed. Somewhere along our weekend, we're going to talk about God is the object of our faith. That was already accented capably by Patrick. <clears throat> but we don't believe in things. We believe in him. And uh, the object of our faith is the greatest component of our faith. But uh, let's tuck that aside for later, in a later session. All right, intelligence. All right, so what are some words that we want to put around intelligence? Let's just kind of recap a little bit. English words that we want to put around intelligence that kind of fill out uh, what this essential aspect of faith is. Intelligence also means what? Facts. Knowledge, facts. What else? Belief. Belief, really good. What else? Understanding. Understanding, excellent. We talked about this worship piece. Good. Do you see this like kind of uh, collection of terms around the intelligence concept that all come from these verses? And so you have to know things, and these then become understanding, knowledge, facts, beliefs, and then worship. Got it. Intelligence. What's the second word in our three-part here? Reliance. Great. Let's kind of do the same. Uh, we, all, we already kind of gave you one word about reliance. What was that word that we gave you? Trust. Trust. What, let's kind of put a constellation of words around this. <clears throat> Good. Dependence. Really strong. What are some other words that may come to mind? Dependence. Trust. Reliance, contentment, hope, good. Let's look at some of these scriptures, and we'll broaden that a little bit. <clears throat> All right. Um, 2 Corinthians 1, 9. Got it. There you go. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Got it. Super. And uh, Philippians 3, 3. Got it. Great. All right. So here we're talking about reliance and how faith is reliance, relying on God, and uh, who's got, who again said they had 2 Corinthians 1 9? Great. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God, who raised the dead. There you go. That word right there. It is to rely not on whom? Not on ourselves, but on God, who was able to do what? I mean, that's so powerful, isn't it? Who was able to do what? So, when you talk about reliance, I mean, I couldn't jump from here or here to the floor without injuring something. You understand what I'm saying? Like, we're so exceedingly frail. <laughs> Do you know that viruses that can kill you, that you are 10 million times larger than those viruses? And you can't you don't have the capacity to overwhelm that virus. It will overwhelm you. We're so frail. And just, look, this is important. If, <clears throat> if your faith is weak, it, it's likely that you're leaning on the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. And when you really own your frailty, and your shortcomingness, that's not a word, but we're adding it as we speak. 
and, and you really own the shortfall. Own the shortfall. Own it. Don't begrudge it. Like, receive it as a part of what this is all about. Because in your ownership of the shortfall, I can't, can't not get angry at this little person or this coworker. I mean, it's so hard. When you own that, you're now liberated to lean on something else. And so own it by taking responsibility for what it is, repenting of it and saying, oh, Lord, you have a different plan for me. Plan- this is overwhelming. I-, I can't do this. My parents are divorcing and I'm torn. I'm so angry. This is so difficult. But you have a way of faith for me to then rely not on myself, but rely on, on what? What kind of person? Second Corinthians 1.9, who can do what? <laughs> There you go. There you go. You can rely on him. Okay, watch this. He, he's drawn you near to rely on him. He wants you to rely on him. He's pleased when you rely on him. He's honored. some of you are miserable because you won't. You won't. And you need to ask your heart why you won't. Why won't you rely on him? Has he not established his goodness? Why won't you rely on him for whatever? Has he not convinced you of his power? Why would you refuse to trust in Him? Because you can't. And your heart doesn't want you to because that means liberation and your heart wants you to be in the jail. That's how wicked and foolish our hearts are. But you can be free by relying on the one who's risen people from the dead. All right, uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, I think was the next verse. <clears throat> trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. All your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Yeah, that's fantastic. Some of you already memorized that scripture. It's a scripture that we're familiar with, but it's right on topic. So we're trusting what? Where? In the Lord. And we're leaning not on what our... Okay, do you see how this is connected to the other piece? Right? So what do we do with understanding? Do Do we just kind of rely on what we know, or do we transform and transport our understanding? We transport it. And we're going to be teaching you how to do that, but how to, how to grow your faith. Well, you, tr- you grow in your understanding, so that then you change your trust. You change your reliance. And we're not trusting in our own understanding. <clears throat> Think for a moment. Um, got it. Um, quantify in your mind the, the total of all human knowledge. Like fix a number. So all things that have been known. Not just facts about sciencey things, but like people and hairstyles and uh, <laughs> color theory and, uh, and butterflies. So quantify all the knowledge that the world has known. And then contrast that to all the knowledge that there is to know. I mean, do human beings know everything that can be known? Yes or no? Of course not. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. For you to do the math is staggering. Because there's 10 billion galaxies that they found. You know how many suns are in every galaxy? 
about 10 billion. Ah, this staggering. The math is absolutely mind-numbing. Okay, and so there's all that knowledge. So if if the world's knowledge is that an incalculable amount of information? Yeah, for sure. About feelings and uh, In-N-Out burgers. Yeah, it is. <laughs> um, but but that is dwarfed by what all the knowledge that can be known in the universe. Does that make sense? Got it. <laughs> so how much information do you have? How much, how much of the world's knowledge do you actually have? What portion of the world's knowledge do you think that you have? Do you have 10%? Okay, got it, yeah, not 10%. Do you have 1%? Do you have one, one millionth of 1%? I mean, who knows, right? You get my point? <laughs> but by the way, this is really effective in your evangelism. <clears throat> because when people are like, I know that there is no God, or I don't know if there is a God, you're like, oh, that's totally fair, because there's like, <clears throat> quadrillions of things that I don't know. <laughs> and maybe God is one of the things that you don't know. <clears throat> but, but, but the more important question for you, unbelieving friend, is are you open to knowing? It's not about whether they know or not. The problem is, is they don't want to know. That's the real issue. And they're blaming their lack of knowledge when the real issue is their disinterest in knowing. <clears throat> All that to say, uh, the not on your own understanding. Why? What have we just said about our own understanding? <laughs> limited. Zach is a fair word for uh, for for that <laughs> assessment. <clears throat> it's limited. Succeeding. I mean, it's just yeah. It's the tiniest portion of what can be known. So why would we lean on that? But friends, you know you know what's true. We lean on it all the time. All the time. I do. And you do. God has a different trust factor for us. Oh, because there is someone that knows everything that is to be known. And he's like this with that knowledge. And I hope you feel it. Like he's like this with his wisdom. He's like this. He wants to. You'll know one day when you're a mom or a dad if you haven't had the privilege to. Be one yet. <clears throat> There's nothing I wouldn't do for my crew. There's just nothing. There's nothing. Not that I wouldn't give them, not that I wouldn't do to help. <clears throat> and your Heavenly Father feels that way about you a million times, a million times over. So, so then we have this very simple principle here in Proverbs 3, right? So not to lean where on our, but to and trust in him, his word, his ways, his wisdom, his will. Yeah. All right, uh, Philippians 3.3. 3. We're talking about reliance, right? Trying to put some concept around reliance so that we're <coughs> building our uh, understanding of what it is. Philippians 3.3. 3. For we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. There you go. Do that last phrase again, Nick. And put what? No confidence. Put no confidence in the flesh. You see the great tension here? Oh, it's just like it was in Proverbs 3, but just with a different angle and different perspective. Uh, Instead of uh, relying on your understanding, this is calling us not to rely what? On our flesh. Uh, so so what, what does he mean by putting no confidence in the flesh? 
Um, <coughs> like put another word in there for flesh. <coughs> strength. Strength. Really good. Let's build on that. Excellent. There's a few concepts that he's working off of here. Strength is at the top of the list. What else? Self. Self. That's really good. That's another very good word. No confidence in self. <coughs> We've already covered understanding in our works. That's it. So that's really helpful, Nick, because that's actually what he's saying in the in the passage. He's talking about his own strength to accomplish things and his own self and what he had <coughs> been able to do. Uh, so strength, works. We're going to cover that tonight. Um, <laughs> and uh, strength, works, self. Um, anything else? Abilities. That's oh, that's really good. Abilities. That's right, accomplishments. Now you're really striking what it means by putting no confidence in the flesh or even our own desires. Put no confidence in what you think you want. Put no confidence in that. We're the true circumcision that puts their confidence in whom? In Christ Jesus and his strength and his person and his works and his accomplishments and his abilities and his likes and his interests and his purposes. So we accomplish confidence in our own. I was like, what? This is what Christianity is. It's having the privilege to take on a completely new set of confidences. So that's another word here with reliance. So let's just wrap up this point again, reflecting on these verses with putting terms around reliance. So intelligence, just to recap, was what? Knowledge, facts, beliefs, worship, great understanding, solid. Reliance. Now let's put those words around reliance. Reliance is trust, trust dependence, dependence, confidence, uh, hope. It's really good. We're leaning. We're leaning. We're leaning on Him. Yes, we are. <laughs> Intelligence, reliance. Okay, what's the third word here? Intelligence, reliance, and allegiance. allegiance. Good, very, very solid. Now, again, what we're describing is the very essence of faith. It's the very essence of gift faith, and it's the very essence of growing faith. And you can, this will be very, very a powerful, evaluative <coughs> mechanism for you. Look at your own life. <coughs> How am I building, write these questions down. How am I building my knowledge, my worshipful knowledge of him? What am I actually doing? What ways am I building my belief in who he is, in his name? <clears throat> here's, here's an application for that exact point. Take your communion time with the Lord for maybe a day or two. This will take 30 minutes to an hour. And rack your brain to identify every attribute of God you know to be true about him. And next to those words, without Bible help, without opening a Bible at first, try to put references next to each of those. You'll, uh, it'll be interesting. Like, because what, what are we doing? We're building our knowledge of his name, of who he is. <clears throat> so do that for a day, maybe 30 minutes. And just even in the quiet of, of your time, even this weekend, who he is. Do you know, do you know your God? And try to put some verses next to those. Do you know, or are these just concepts, don't borrow your understanding about God. Don't borrow it from anybody. He, he wants to impress it to you. He wants to press it into your conscience. I'm convinced of this, Paul wrote, 2 Timothy 1.12. I know this. This is mine. Let it be yours. 
So after a brainstorming session, then spend your communion time for several weeks expanding that list. Borrow some good books about the attributes of God. Come up with 50 attributes of God with Bible verses next to each of them and know your God. Know Him and be convinced of who He is. So build your knowledge. Well, <clears throat> what can we do with trust and confidence and reliance? What are, what are the opposites of trust and, and reliance? So, so if you're not trusting, what might you be doing over here? If you're sinning, you may be what? What's that? Doubting, really helpful. Maybe doubting. Uh, <clears throat> it's important for you to understand. Out of a group of almost 40, half of the people in this room regularly struggle with doubt. Regularly. And your leaders do. And even some pastors on your staff might. And some elders do. Doubt is a function of humanity. It's one of the lesser angels of our being. But for some of us, it's closer than we would want it to be. But you think that your doubt is a scarlet letter. Because you see someone like me crying through tears over what I believe, and you're like, I don't have that, or I'm unsure. I would never want to convey, because of the conviction of my heart, that your doubts aren't real. And that they can't be sanctified because they can be. They can be. Saved, redeemed. And it may be, friend, <clears throat> that God has called you in the makeup of who you are to live a life struggling with doubt until you see Him face to face. But what you're going to do is you're going to fight the good fight of faith. <clears throat> so, so if you're not trusting, you may be doubting. If you're not trusting, you may be, what else? What's another sinful manifestation if you're not relying on him. Yeah. Fear, that's, yeah, that's really good. Fear. <clears throat> and what are you scared of? We're going to be working on that when we talk about suffering faithfully. Uh, another cousin to fear may be anxiety. Anxiousness. <clears throat> Maybe you're a guy and you struggle with anxiety pretty significantly. And you're ashamed of that because um, you're supposed to be a tough guy or something. There's faith for that. There's faith for that. <clears throat> so, related to reliance, I would encourage you to identify doubt, fear, anxiety, or maybe another, maybe you put confidence in your uh, accomplishments, you know, spiritually. Maybe you're relying on kind of what you do for God to make your relationship with God what it needs to be. Maybe, I'm not sure what it is for you, but I would challenge you strongly to identify in the realm of reliance where you struggle the most, where you're not relying upon Him or giving your trust or confidence in Him. And, um, and then go right at that. Okay? Maybe it's fear, doubt. Um, Maybe it's shame. Maybe you've sinned in such a way that you're ashamed of yourself and you're embarrassed by what you've done and so you're hiding and no one can find out what's, what's really going on. That's not relying on His promises. It's not relying upon His grace. So I'm not sure what related to reliance it is for you. <clears throat> but another great exercise is for you to identify prayerfully 
maybe with one of your good friends here, or maybe in your small group, or maybe just between you and the Lord, where you're falling short in the realm of reliance, identify it. And then create a repentance plan with one of your leaders or friends about how you can go right at that item and strengthen your leaning on who he is and what he's accomplished for you. All right. <clears throat> it's not the hearer of the law that's blessed, my friends, but what? The doer thereof. Doer thereof. So take these. They're in, uh, eminently practical. Take them. Think about it. Create a plan. <clears throat> All right. So now we have intelligence, reliance, and allegiance. All right. Um, great. Uh, here's a few verses for that. Allegiance. Um, Romans 1 5. Thank you. Uh, Psalm, by the way, uh, women can read scripture in this company, so I just want to break all the women in the house. They got it. And uh, so I have two more scriptures remaining for this, this morning's session, and uh, I would be thrilled to hear a female voice uh, read scripture. And the next scripture is Psalm 37 5. Mm, that was lovely. And. Uh, James 2.17. Great. <clears throat> so now we're talking about allegiance. What did we say the word was for allegiance? Obedience. obedience. That's really good. Well, now we're talking about obedience, all right? This is an essential aspect of faith. Faith obeys, okay? Faith, it does stuff. And uh, so, uh, Romans 1.5. 37.5. This is really beautiful. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him and He will act. Right. So it's a commitment. So commit your way to the Lord. What's the next phrase? Trust in him, and he will act, he will act right? Mm -hmm. So there is this, <clears throat> and by the way, he acts through his messengers, through his sent ones, right? So he's acting through us. So when we commit our ways to the Lord, it's like Isaiah. Um, when, when God called Isaiah in this vision into the throne room, and he sees <clears throat> um, the, the angels, and he sees the Lord Jesus Christ on, on the throne... And then God says, but I have this task, and I'm going to send a prophet into the land, and no one's going to believe, and no one's going to return, and I got this whole plan cooked up, and, and then God's like, and, and, and I'm going to send somebody. And Isaiah's like, uh, here am I? Like, <laughs> he's like, there's no one else here, Lord. It's just me and you, right? Uh, I guess I'm the guy, right? I, I guess. Here am I? And uh, pretty remarkable there in Isaiah 6. So, there's this commitment of our ways. There's this trusting in Him. And then He's going to act. He's going to act through us. He's going to act beyond us. He's going to do His work. But He uses uh, us as vessels. Uh, clay pots, for sure. But He has put the treasure of the gospel, 2 Corinthians 4, 7, in us as vessels. We're vessels for honor, 2 Timothy 2. <clears throat> 20, 21, 22. All right. Uh, so commit your ways to the Lord. This commitment, right? That's the allegiance part of this. If you're going to trust in Him, you're going to believe in Him, you're going to commit to Him. And then what do we have in uh, James 2, 17? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. There you go. So now you have the reality that faith includes this allegiance, that one of the gifts of faith is obedience, commitment, a life of of allegiance, aligning with him in his purposes, being co-laborers with God, 2 Corinthians 3, 9. Man! Wow! Man! Wow! 
You think about it, right? His work will be accomplished. It's going to happen. His gospel will ride triumphant over the entire universe. And we're in on that. We're, just join up. Just take up your yoke. Just become a fisher of men. Just commit. Just align. My allegiance is yours. You're my liege. You're my master. You're my king. So if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, what? Jesus is Lord. He's master. That's all we're saying here. That if you believe in him, you believe that he is the master. He's the king. He's the Lord. And if he is all that, then he gets our allegiance. But this is part and parcel with what faith is. Saving faith is this. So let's be really practical. When I spent some time in North Carolina, it was odd and just really crazy to me that I heard this exact phrase on two different occasions about two completely different scenarios. <clears throat> and uh, I'm well into my second hour of preaching, so bear with me. Um, <clears throat> here was the phrase. I was talking with a friend of mine about somebody who was suffering spiritually, and they said, well, I know that they're a Christian, but God has no part in their life right now. But, but again, when it was repeated by somebody completely different, like, a year later, about a completely different scenario, I'm thinking, what are they thinking about the nature of faith? Because if you do not have allegiance, you do not have faith. If you do not have reliance, you do not have faith. And if you do not have knowledge, you do not have This is what comprises faith. Whether it's gift faith or growing faith. Now, we're going to be talking about this all weekend, all right? So we're going to be like working through the ideas of intelligence, reliance, and allegiance and different parts of what we're going to talk about all weekend. So this is kind of an introduction, but, but let's wrap up here with our third point, which is to differentiate gift faith from growing faith, all right? So now that is our foundation of what true faith is. All faith has all three of these components to one degree or another. Then what... Let's talk about the difference between gift faith and growing faith. Now, <clears throat> what I'm going to do is um, I'll just give a list. So I'll talk about gift faith and growth faith or growing faith. <clears throat> and, um, and I'll just kind of run through this list quickly so that you can begin to understand uh, the difference between the two. All right. So there's both faith, both are intelligence, reliance, and allegiance, but there's differences between the two. And what are those differences? Just for the sake of time, I'll just read this list instead of kind of doing a brainstorming with you. Gift faith is the faith that saves. Growth faith is the faith that sanctifies. All right? Saves, sanctifies. Gift faith is eternal life by faith. Growth faith is living by faith. <clears throat> Gift faith is at the point of salvation. Growth faith throughout the Christian life. Should I repeat what I've already read, or are we going out of good cadence? Repeat. Great. <laughs> <laughs> so again, two charts. <clears throat> Give faith and growth faith. Give faith. Saves, sanctifies. Eternal life by faith. Give faith is eternal life by faith. Growth faith is living by faith. Give faith. At the point of salvation, growth faith throughout the Christian life. Here's our next one. 
<coughs> gift faith begets or generates growth faith. Growth faith follows gift faith. They're linked to one another inexorably. <coughs> inexorably. That'll be on your vocab uh, <laughs> test uh, next week for sure. <coughs> gift faith, one size fits all. Where does gift faith come from, by the way? Gift faith comes from God. That's right. It's a gift from God. And he gives one unit, one size fits all. Gift faith is one unit in one moment with the same impact and the same size for everyone. That's gift faith. Growth faith, differing amounts of faith. Do all Christians have the same amount of faith, yes or no? Mm-hmm. No. But does God gives, give great faith to somebody and small faith to other people? Does he give different amounts of faith? No. And this is very, very important. That's why you're differentiating between the two. Gift faith is one size fits all. It's one gift, the same amount, the same effect. But growth faith is different in kind. We have the responsibility to develop our faith. More on that. Gift faith we receive as a gift. Growth faith we cultivate through faithfulness. We're cultivating our faith. Gift faith completely separate from works. We'll get to that tonight. Completely separate from works. Gift faith is completely separate from works. Does works have any relationship with gift faith, yes or no? None. We'll cover that tonight. Growth faith includes the works of obedience with joy. Gift faith does the same work for all. Growth faith does different work for each. Now let me repeat these last few because I know some of you are trying to write all this down. (laughs) So starting with number four, gift faith, this is review, begets growth faith. Growth faith follows gift faith. Gift faith, one size fits all. Growth faith, differing amounts of faith. Gift faith we receive as a gift. Growth faith we cultivate through faithfulness. Gift faith completely separate from works. Growth faith includes the works of obedience. Necessarily and joyfully. Gift faith, next one. Does the same work for all. Growth faith does different work for each. Same work, gift faith. Different work, growth faith. Gift faith, one-time event. Growth faith, perpetual development. Gift faith, you contribute nothing. Growth faith, you get out what you put in. Should I repeat those last few? Yes. Great. Should I repeat them all? No. Great, just those last few. Does the same work for all? Gift faith does the same work for all. Growth faith does different work for each. Gift faith, one-time event. Growth faith, perpetual development. Gift faith, you contribute nothing. Growth faith, you get out what you put in. I should have reproduced that for you all. I apologize if I didn't. I I actually, it's such a simple list, and typically when I give it, people are just like, okay, kind of got it. You guys are super attentive. Thank you for your care to capture all that. Because, by the way, (coughs) um, this isn't something that's talked about very often. The differentiation between what we receive as a gift and what we're then blessed with as an opportunity to grow isn't... because. So then there's confusion. So faith and works, yes or no? No! No, 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 no! Yes, 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 yes! But you see how that works? Give faith and growth faith. Depends on what faith you're talking about. So we'll be working on that more tonight. <coughs> and, uh, and throughout the weekend. 
Um, here we go. Let me uh, quote from <laughs> quote from Luther. Uh, James and that pesky alarm. <laughs> quote from Luther, and then um, I'll just give a. I'll just make one final point, and well, actually I'll wrap with the quote. Here we go. Uh, why is this important? Why is this important? Because there's a blight across the Christian church that goes like this. I'm in. I'm safe. I'm good. I won't put it in neutral. That sounds kind of lame. But we'll just cruise from here. You are stealing from yourself and the people that you love the essence of what has been purchased for you. A dynamic life of faith. To walk by faith. To think by faith. To suffer by faith. To decide by faith. It's stolen from you. And when you don't differentiate gift and growth faith, you're like, I got the gift thing. Like, I got it. Like, of course, I want to do some stuff. And I can think, and I'm not sure how it all works out. But, you know, hey, we'll get there. Nope. By this, the Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So, the glory of the Lord through your life is hanging in the balance of your ability to appreciate, understand, and develop your growth faith. So, <clears throat> hence the whole weekend. All right. A um, couple words, just really briefly, on how to build your faith. Uh, Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing, and hearing words about Christ. Read the Bible. Learn about Jesus. That's how you build your faith. Learn the person, work, and words of the Lord Jesus Christ. Person, work, and words of the Lord Jesus Christ. And your faith will be established. <clears throat> how to build your faith. <clears throat> um, ask God for help. Mark 9, 24. The man prayed, I believe. What was the next part of his prayer? prayer? Help my... Ask God all weekend long to build your faith, to grow your faith. <clears throat> um, how to build your faith? Just like you've been challenged to consider who God is and his attributes and to worship him for who he truly is. <clears throat> um, our families moved back to California so that we can plant a church in California. And... Uh, Man, I'm excited. <clears throat> like, really. Really excited. And realizing um, the massive task that this is for us on so many levels. <laughs> um, 56 days ago, I said, you know what? We're going to do 100 days of promise. 100 days of faith. I'm going to extract a promise from the Word of God every day for 100 days. And it ends on Thanksgiving. Interestingly enough, in praising and thanking. <clears throat> and so now for 56 days straight, I found a promise from God's Word. I've journaled it in my journal. That's actually where you journal in a journal. I <laughs> actually, you might want to jot that down. Uh, I'm supposed to journal in my journal. There you go. I mean, this stuff is for free. You know, there's no charge for that. <laughs> so, what? Well, actually, journaling in my journal. And, uh, but every day, every day I promise. And uh, why? Because I want to build my faith. Because I know I'll need it. Because that uh, valley of the shadow of death for sure. You know that God leads you through the valley of the shadow of death? More on that later. <laughs> great. Uh, great. So a few ways to build your faith, a few concepts, very simply, we'll be working on it all week. Thank you very much for... Uh, 
your endurance here. I, I um, You've gotten some good work done. I don't anticipate the other sessions taking so long. In fact, I imagine them being quite dialogical. <clears throat> but um, we wanted to introduce the whole series. We wanted to kind of get our mindset on the idea of faith. And we really wanted to underscore and really impress upon you those three aspects of faith, the three essential aspects of faith. Give faith and growing faith, share them. What are they? They are intelligence, reliance, and allegiance. And this is how you can work your way in and out of your life, your heart, where you're struggling, other people, people that are saved, <clears throat> etc. Ah, great. And we have a roadmap for the time ahead of us. I'm so thankful and excited to be here. Thank you, Sean. Thank you, Tracy. Uh, Grateful for my friend Patrick, and I don't know that we've met yet, but I know that trust that we will. And uh, thank you, Lainey. Um, we'll be home so soon. And uh, what a privilege to share this together. <clears throat> Father, we want to tell you that we love you because we do. We, we love you. We love, your, we love who you are. We love your purposes. And I'm very, very thankful for the, the privilege of being here. I, I hope that even in our first session, I have yet not overstayed my welcome. But uh, we have gotten an introduction underneath our belt, and we are <coughs> ready for a whole weekend of dialogue about this most exceedingly important.